0: I would definitely tell myself, don't sweat too many things. Just do what you need to do. Don't get caught up in everyday politics of life. Don't get caught up in trying to be like everybody else. Don't get caught up in being upset too much. I would tell my 26-year-old self that keep in mind that there are some things you can change and there are some things you cannot change. The things you can change, do the best you can. The things you cannot change, put them aside and don't let them bother your head. There's just too many other things you got to take care of. And then the last thing I would tell him is, remember, relationships are more important than be right. Too often, I think my academic background and my American background, I always have to prove a point to be right. But my Palawan side always tells me that I have to live in a community with different human beings and sometimes... It doesn't make sense to always tell people they're wrong and to do it this way you need to develop consensus trust and need to develop consistency and so i would tell them just go out there and just do the best you can and make sure people know that you work hard and that you always do your best for a lot
1: Hello everyone, my name is Dean Long and welcome to the podcast Lifeline. In this podcast, I will interview people who are having a positive impact in their community and have a strong message that deserves to be shared. We will dive deeper into their journey becoming a change maker, and hopefully you can take away some insights for your own journey. And please do subscribe to Lifeline on YouTube, Apple Podcasts or any platform that you are using. And also you can share this episode with your friends if you like it. It's really what helps me the most. In today's very exciting episode, you will meet Tuti Shilton, who is an educator, sports for development advocate and storyteller from Palau, which is a small island state in the Pacific that I, to be honest, didn't really know about before meeting Tutti. So, yeah, uh, this was just an incredible episode to learn more about his story, but also, you know, Palau. Uh, what's special about Palau anyway Tutti is very passionate about philosophy and he actually defines himself as a contrarian because he's always reflecting on this question, what if the opposite was true and his love for philosophy made him become a professor at the Palau Community College for more than 15 years during which he kept asking his students, what if the opposite was true what if Palau was self-sufficient? What if Palau and youth were role models for other youths across the world? Or even what if Palau was narrating its own story to the world? At the same time, Tutti has also been engaged with the Olympic Committee of Palau for the last 20 years to develop sports as a means for youth empowerment and for putting Palau on the global map. Because you never know What if Palau brought back an Olympic gold medal in archery in 2024? So we discuss his long quest bringing his two passions, which are philosophy and sports, together. His long quest finding his purpose to make people think, and his long quest finding his community, which was actually just around the corner in Palau. So enjoy this super cool episode and hope it makes you think. See you soon. So yeah, uh, again, Tutti, super happy to have you on Lifeline today. I think we had a great chat already, so I, I can already say that it's going to be a great episode. Thank you. And yeah, no, I think I always start by reminding a bit, like, how do I know? Uh, the people that I'm having a conversation with, yeah. in your case, very interesting because it's—I um, mean, I first got to know you indirectly, you know, through Linka and through—I um, think the—I think UNDP in the Pacific. I'm not so sure, yeah. actually, but yeah, you, you ended up in the agenda yeah. of the YECAP dialogue, and then yeah, yeah. Uh, I think with Linka and everyone, we all love. I think your storytelling and you know all the stories that you share. And um, and yeah, today, um super happy to have you, and I think there's a few things I would love to hear more from, but I'm sure I we'll we I will get to it, but, yeah, I think all your career, you know, I think you always mentioned to us that now you know you're working on climate change and including young people well before you were you know focused on teaching and also sports, um would love to know more about palau and also. Uh, last time you told me your your daughter was in the Tokyo Olympics. <laughs> I would love to speak about that as well. I think it's not it's not common, right? So I think so many things to speak about. But maybe just to kickstart, uh, would you like to introduce yourself? You know, anything that you want to share to kickstart?
0: Thank you, Lo. Uh, thank you very much for having me here. Uh, well, my name is uh, Tutu uh, Chilton. I'm, uh, Palau and living in Palau now. I'm currently working um, for the, I used to, excuse me, I used to work for the Palau Energy Administration. And I have an opportunity now to work with island conservation. So island conservation is a totally different uh, mode from what I was doing with the energy. Um, Island conservation, our model is uh, eradicating um, invasive species to prevent extinction. Um, So a lot of uh, the vertebrates Rats, cats, uh, feral, uh, pigs, and dogs. Those are the kind of stuff that we work on on different islands. So it's um, a different turn from regulating energy sector. And uh, before that, uh, for about 18 years, I was at the college, at Pollock Community College as a, uh, as a teacher. And then I had two years of uh, academic uh, experience as administrator. And then before that, I was, uh, from 1994 and before that, I was in the U.S., just being in the U.S. military from 1986 to 1989. And then going to school in the East Coast. I was, I grew up in uh, New Jersey in the East Coast. Uh, and so I have a lot of interesting stories from the East Coast and my love of sports and. Uh, just my development and loving being around different people because the area I lived in was called Piscataway, New Jersey. And there was a lot of different people, uh, from many different countries that used to live in that community. I think it was like roughly about a hundred and some thousand people living in Piscataway. And, um, it was like a mixed group of people. Uh, so it's kind of looked like the, the, not the traditional, but sort of the ideal. American community you have many different groups of people living in one community um, I get all the traditional American sports you know football American football no, not the football American football um it's still my passion and my passion um, some of the funny things is you know we argue about rugby and, and American football but American football has its roots out of rugby um so it's, it's not Devoid of it is just a different sport nowadays. So. And so now I've been living in Palau over 25 years. And like you said, I had a, my oldest daughter, um, finally had the opportunity to represent Palau swimming at uh, the recent uh, Tokyo games as a swimmer. Um, it's always been her dream to be an Olympian and she kept working at it and working in and finally her dream came true. And, I'm just happy that she finally achieved one part of her goals, and I'm hoping she'll achieve other parts of her goals. I still have many goals that I want to achieve, but I'm glad my daughter was able to move on. Uh, again, I'm I'm very blessed. My younger daughter is actually in Dubai right now uh, for the World Expo. So she's there representing Palau. Yeah, I wish I could travel to see her, but uh, she was one of five young Palauans that are, are manning the booth. At the, at the at the pavilion in Dubai and she left uh, October of uh, this year. Yeah, a couple, two months ago and she's going to be there to probably April or May so she's seen so many different people coming in uh, to the pavilion, uh, to the Palau section but to all the other pavilions and so she's having such a, a great experience meeting different people, learning different things uh, so I'm just happy that Living in a small island like Palau, we still have all these different opportunities, um, uh, that my daughters are able to accomplish. Um, I only have two daughters. I don't have any sons. Uh, so the young man I introduced you to earlier is, is a family friend. And so, you know, I joke about it, but I try to invite, you know, nephews and uh, cousins, sons and daughters to come and hang out because my daughters are already older. They've uh, left the house. Um, so you know, the young man is here we were going to play video games earlier so it's there I can't see myself living anywhere else uh, like most people um, you find yourself in an environment where you just feel like you're part of the ecosystem uh, you feel like what you do is making an impact and this is what we kept talking about these change makers, these influencers that these young men and women around uh, the Asia Pacific region—they're um, influencing through technology. They're influencing through their deeds, uh, their efforts, and at the same time, influencing through their networking connections. Uh, and I'm—I continue to learn every day from young men and women, whether they're on social media, the young men and women I work with in sports, the people I read about, uh, things that remind me that. I'm, I'm truly very blessed. I know we always use that word. It's sort of one of those, you know, everybody says hashtag blessed and other stuff, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm from a small island. We, we have 20,000 some people and I've had these opportunities, uh, that have been given to me, being able to live in the U S for over 20 years and get, and getting educated, traveling around the world, uh, coming back home to Palau. Uh, having uh, kids, uh, two daughters that are doing what they want to do. I mean, there's nothing else that you can uh, kind of complain about. I mean, we all have complaints. But at the end of the day, you just kind of like, wow, okay. I have to make better effort to make sure that my every interaction with individuals uh, has a better impact, not just with my children, but everyone I meet. So this is actually a blessing in disguise, uh, thing, uh, thing, uh, because you have an audience that I would never, ever to talk to. Uh, and you've given me this opportunity. So thank you very much. And I know that's a long winded introduction, <laughs> um, but just hopefully it's uh, a reminder. Uh, and I always tell my former students, uh, that you can influence the world even if you're from a small rock. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Bob Marley was from a small rock. Just happened to be called Jamaica. And he influenced the world with his music and his philosophies. And each one of us can do the same. It's just a matter of uh, the technology we use and the efforts that we put forward. And if you don't influence uh, the rest of the world and have uh, a thousand likes, it's fine. Uh, you have to influence the people next to you. You know. So I'm very blessed that my two daughters hopefully will continue to grow and be great uh, a servant of Palau and uh, a great uh, uh, benefactors to Palau so they can help Palau when they go off and learn and bring back things back to Palau as I have been blessed to bring back to Palau so we just have to wait and see you know like I said every day is an interesting day we just got to keep moving forward and yeah. learn from it and, and see what happens in, in the future.
1: It's so interesting, you know, um, I interview a, a lot of younger people <laughs> around their twenties and you know, and you are know, always so me, me, like the reason why I launched lifeline is to understand how did someone, you know, move from, for example, not caring about climate to caring about climate, but going the extra mile and trying to impact the community, do things. And the question I always. I always start by you know, asking people, like, can you share a bit about your childhood? Why are you so creative? How does this personality trait come from? And many times they speak about their parents who, you know, they they had supportive parents who allowed them to do this and that, or so who empowered them to do this and that. And today, I think the first time I can ask the, the other way, or, I mean, the other way around, like you speak about your daughters, you know, who, who are both representing Palau somewhere, which right. is, I mean, it, it, when you think about it, like, like it's quite amazing. Maybe let's, I know, let's start with, I mean, I, I, I you shared with me the, the, about your daughter who, who, you know, who went to Tokyo Olympics. I, I just wonder, like, how does her dream of being an Olympian come from? Did you have anything to do with that? Well, you know, as, as a parent, you always want to, uh,
0: say, yes, you had something to do with it. But, uh, i i I will have to be very honest. I, I don't think I had a, a lot to do with it. Uh, but I hope I gave her the environment that she was able to reach for whatever dreams and uh, opportunities that came her way. She was actually the one that came to us when she was about seven or eight and says, I want to swim. And so, you know whatever you want to do, you have a passion for it. I will support you hundred percent. And I think it's from that, uh, every day making sure she goes to practice, um, uh, you know, reminding her that it's not just, it's not just you winning all the time. It's actually the journey and the process of you learning how to overcome your personal, um, uh, weaknesses or your personal obstacles. Because at the end of the day, uh, um, uh, the 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 time that she swam was like less than two minutes. It's like she swam at fifty meters in less than two minutes. That was the race, and that was done. But that two minutes, if you look back from the time she started swimming at eight years old until she was uh, twenty some years old in uh, the swimming part, then you can see how many years that she had and, and developed from there. You know, I'm I'm hoping that I gave her the environment and some thoughts that allowed her to make those particular choices. Um, You know, sometimes you know, we always want to say as parents, like, yes, I, I had something to do with that. But I wasn't the one there swimming every day. I wasn't the one there going to practice every day. Yes, I woke up, I helped her get up, I drove her to practice. I made sure she had uh, as best uh, the proper food that I can give her in an environment. Uh, I try to remind her every day that... Uh, um it's all about your efforts, uh, how you think, how you interact with people. Um, don't ever let people talk you down just because you're a woman or at the time as a young lady or as a girl. Um, because as a, as a human being, you can do so many things. But as soon as you let the environment or the community talk down to you, and unfortunately, there's a lot of young women who are talked down to, And they're told you cannot do this because of whatever belief that community has. Uh, You're not supposed to do that because of whatever traditions that community has. Or you're you're a girl and you cannot do that because of whatever the community or culture is. I try to tell them no matter what, um, you take the steps that needs to be taken. Um, so that you can stand up for yourself because no one else is going to stand up for you. And I think she internalized it, uh, to the point where she's really determined. She, you know, kids have their own personalities when they're born. So, um, you know, she's always has a determining, uh, a very determined personality. When she gets her mindset on something, she wants to continue until she accomplishes it. And, and I've always felt that I had to always encourage her to do that because there's so many, uh, obstacles that young women go through. I didn't want to raise my kids, uh, to face those obstacles. I wanted to raise them to be prepared, uh, for any obstacle that comes their way. They're, they're always going to face, uh, whatever issues in the world that they're going to face, whatever discrimination, uh, gender issues. I mean, you know, God willing, they're not going to see any violence, but they're going to face some challenges and we need to stop, uh, uh talking about our kids as their kids and they don't know how to do things. And so I'd like to think I had something to do with it, but uh, I hope I had the environment, I had created the environment for her to do it on her own. And that's something that I'm hoping that I'm very proud of uh, because that's what happened to me. You know, my father, Tom Chilton, he's the one that gave me those opportunities to learn on my own, uh, give me the examples that I need to do to be a man and how a man behaves, uh, interacts with other human beings. Um, so, you know, because of, like you said, my father, my mother, they taught me and hopefully I gave my daughters the other, uh, opportunities and hopefully they continue more. But, uh, unfortunately the world is the world. Um, uh, we, we, are bound by our beliefs and our traditions and sometimes our beliefs and transit and traditions, uh, stop us from incorporating the rest of the world. And I'm very encouraged by a quote by, um, a gentleman from the U.S., uh, Mr. Warren Buffett, and he's like, "Do you know, the reason why I, and I'm paraphrasing, so he says, you know, the reason why I'm very supportive of uh, gender equality or gender inclusion is that imagine what we've done with only half of the population in terms of growth and development and technology. Imagine if we include the whole population and include women in it. What can we accomplish if we include everyone in looking forward and developing a a community, a a country, an organization, and not let our personal biases or other biases stop us from working with other people. And and just because you're a young man that happened to grow up in France, and I have a bias between French people, I'm not going to work with you. that's, That's so limiting, you know. You, you limit the creativity you limit the opportunities and just imagine what would happen if you take Warren Buffett's words and say it would include the whole world in really dealing with issues of climate change violence health medicine I mean I truly believe that you know there's a philosophy of duality so for every positive there's a negative and so I really believe that for every problem, there's always a solution. But we need to allow people to learn the true nature of the problem so they come up with the true nature of the solution. So I'm not worried about problems. Uh, I'm worried about giving young men and women the opportunity to be able to come up with the solutions. And if you don't include them, and we're very stubborn, as, and I'm, a f- I'm 53 years old. So sometimes I'm very stubborn. I think young people don't know anything because they don't have the experience. But they'll amaze you if you learn to just sort of put your own biases aside and say, I need to listen. I need, I need to just listen. Let's just talk stories. What do you think we can do? <laughs> and it's surprising. They come up with solutions. I was really hoping COP26 is going to have more uh, youth involved But that's just our own personal issue. So that's, you know, I encourage young men and women that no matter what government does, no matter what organizations do, stop, don't stop being you. Do you. And bring up the voice that you think needs to be brought up. And that's what I hope I gave to my oldest daughter and my youngest daughter, that's in Dubai now.
1: You know, like, do you think, I mean yeah' you're, you're, because you were were a teacher at the palau community college is it obviously your students are not your kids, but you know is it something you try to convey to your students as well yeah I, well
0: again it's the there's a beautiful quote from uh, uh Khalil Gibran uh he has a book called the Prophet and he talks about kids in that book and he says Kids don't come from us. Kids come through us. and I'm, and I'm paraphrasing that quote. And students, you know what, what is that often quoted uh, a thing about uh, it takes a village to raise kids, you know So yes, even though the students were my students at the college, they were still my kids. because uh, I had responsibility to share with them all the different perspectives that the world has to offer the 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 very liberal perspective the very mid uh, um, middle perspective and the very conservative perspective I have to share with them everything so that they will be able to pick and choose how to argue their point of view because i'm very liberal in some things i'm very conservative in some things and i'm a very middle ground in some things uh, and the world is not uh, liberal and conservative the world is a mixture of everything and so we need to have our kids uh, be able to learn how to listen and come up with evidence that they can use in their debate and I, I like the word argument because it's just a different word of debate but we, we need to teach our kids how to if I'm going to debate with you um, it's not just an opinion you cannot have an opinion anymore You you better come with some examples and facts based on a research. And the, the traditional research should mean that if you can find at least the same information in five reputable uh, um, uh, areas of science or social science, then it's something you can use as a fact. Nowadays, we're very liberal in our use of the word fact because it's just my opinion. Yeah. Well, how did you base your opinion on I read this journal. I, I interviewed this person. Uh, I saw this, this, this uh, research. Um, where did it come from? You know, and the important thing that, you know, we want to make sure our kids have is just that. So I think the more, I think for me, when I was working with the young men and women at the, at the college was just that I go back to, I have to make them think. I'm not there to train you how to think. I don't want you to be conservative, liberal or the middle ground, but I just want you to stay. And if you have a certain path that you need to follow, you have to come and have evidence to show for it. Um, so, and that's something that unfortunately, we, we, in my personal experience, young men and women don't really get the opportunity to express themselves. Uh, they're always told what to do and it's how you do it. And because this is how it's supposed to be because that's always it's always been done that way. We don't embrace... Flexibility and change because young men and women have flexible, they're very flexible and they're ever learning new things. And and so one of the things I always question about is, you know, you and I are colleagues and so I would always ask you for your opinion and and your uh, research that you've done in that particular area to help me do my work. But when it comes to education, we force our kids to do things in isolation. You you have to do your test by yourself. Uh, But all of us teachers and all of us researchers, we have colleagues that we work from and we quote from them. But we force you as a young man and young woman to say, this is just my work that I've studied. Uh, It's always interesting to me that if that's what we're doing every day, we train our young men and women to do what we do on an everyday basis, learn to have collaborative work, learn to share information, and then come up with an answer and we can share it. I don't know why we can't grade the classroom for a classroom, but I have to give you only one grade. So it's, it's just an interesting little tweak in education. Well, but I hope I help young men and women in the college to do the same thing that I help my daughters do with At the end of the day, they are young men and women from Palau where they went to school in Palau and wherever they go in the world, I want them to be of value uh, to their environment rather than be a burden to their environment. And so what I mean by that is you, you bring value to whatever relationships you have, whatever country you go, you bring value to that. You don't bring a burden, which means you go there and you use up the resources without contributing to it. Uh, And I hope that's what I've done at the college for these young men.
1: What topic were you
0: teaching? I was a liberal arts instructor, so my background is social sciences. So I taught a lot of philosophy, history, uh, sociology, psychology, social problems, religion. I taught a class in religion, um, but I made sure that the religion class was not about uh, the philosophy of religion, but the practice of religion. So we would look at different religions and what they believe and what they practice rather than, I don't believe them, I only believe this part. So general logic was one of my favorite classes. It's a uh, sort of a, like a, a thinking class. Uh It's not a, a straight philosophical uh, philosophic, uh, philosophy class where you study the history of philosophy and a different philosophical point some views from historical uh uh, figures but general logic was sort of uh, just you know how to think creatively critically what is the process to be creative and critical and the one thing i try to teach my kids was and i say kids my students was um don't ever limit yourself you know don't don't just say that an answer can only be found here you know, look at all the other things around the world and see how they come up with an answer and see if you can use the technique in biology or you can use the technique in sports or you can use the technique in law to how do they resolve problems and see how you can use those techniques and try to figure out what problem you have here. And so for me, sports is, is always been a, a liberating kind of uh, uh a topic as well as a practice because everyone does a sport everyone has a sporting uh, uh, culture in their community it just depends on the sport that they play but sports plays a very important role in building confidence uh, not just the physical health of individuals but the mental health of individuals and overcoming obstacles learning to accept failure is a learning process rather than It's a failure and, you know, unfortunately some young men and women, not because of sports, but because of other things, see failure or disconnect from community as a last resort and unfortunately they they take their lives and, you know, that's a last resort and I'm not saying sports will uh, will answer all problems, but I like sports as a way to help young men and women to negotiate failure, problems, and then network and connecting with cultures, other athletes, uh, other community members in sports to help you with a network so you don't feel like you're by yourself. You know, we have six, six billion plus people in the world and, and unfortunately some people still feel alone. You know, we're never, no, I'm sorry, we're never alone, but we feel lonely. I think it's a better English up. So there's six mil- billion plus people around the world but I, as an individual, have no connection with others. And that's really, that's, that's, at the end of the day, that's something we need to really reach out to because every human life is very valuable, especially young men and young women. Um, I just, I just saw an interesting quote, uh, from an American uh, host and, 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 actor, Steve Harvey. And he was telling, uh, uh his audience that, a particular uh, guest in the audience that no matter what problems your mother and father had, um, God put those two people together to create you. So you're not a mistake. You know, God does not make mistakes. You were created and there's a purpose for your work. Um, so don't feel like you're alone and you're, you don't have no worth because your parents are, are not there for you. So it's kind of interesting kind of take on You and I as a human being that actually have a purpose. I was not created just because it was a biological thing. You know, if you have that belief in a, in a spiritual being and in a higher power, you know, going back to that uh, perspective of duality, I was created out of billions, out of uh, thousands of potential human beings. And there's a purpose for me. and, And now my whole life is. Is, is finding that purpose and along the way if I can help others like my, my my kids and my students and my community that's the great journey and I'm still looking for my purpose and I think my purpose is now making people think and you're giving me this opportunity to make people think uh, uh, this is only a short conversation um, that we're having today but I'm hoping that individuals uh, you know the, the words and the experience that I'm sharing, you know, help them move forward and be able to go and, and, and touch other individuals uh, in the work that they do, um, especially with young men and women. Sorry for rallying on, bro.
1: No, no, no. I love it. I love it. And, um you know, I have a question around the word purpose. I think for me, it's such a powerful word and concept. And I, you know, many, are the say, all my guests yeah. usually are my guests because they found their purpose. Uh, and that's what, you know, keeps them going and makes them, you know, a leader in the community. And some found their purpose at 10 years old, some at 20, some at 30, some later, some, you know, their whole life was a test and trial to find a purpose they explore different things so I wonder for you like you know first when did you realize you had a purpose and how how did you you come up with what you said that your purpose is to make people think and was it always a purpose that you had in mind throughout your life
0: you know it's funny when when you're younger you think you have all the answers and as you get older you realize you have no answers you still have so many questions and, and you become humbled by the fact that you don't know too many things. And so I would like to say that I've always known my purpose. And I've always been a, a, a communicative person. I like to talk to people. I like to share things with people. I like to be around people. But uh, to be honest, it, it's taking me, like you said, people have different journeys. And, and my journey tends to be based on experience that lasts a long time. So I'm 53 years old and just in the last recent couple of years, uh, let's say, say the five years that I've really taken this idea of making people think it was always sort of a a catchphrase that I just like to throw around because it just sounds good. But now I kind of understand what it means now as a 53-year-old individual who's lived, you know, half a century, actually more than a half a century. Um, and god willing i'll have a lot more lives to come by but just recently i just kind of you know kind of it just kind of makes sense now what it, what does it mean to make people think there's no longer just the catchphrase that says hey <clears throat> you know if you're thinking about that religion think about this religion no it's not that it's really make make you think about who you are as a human being as an individual. You know, I think sometimes we, we have so many conflicts around the world because I'm still trying to prove who I am. And the only way I know how to prove myself is through violence because I have no other words to use. Or I have no other evidence to use. So I'm just going to come and beat you up, you know. And, and to work with those young men and women who you know might find themselves as bullies or being bullied, it's really kind of like the foundation. I'm starting to see that the world kind of acts like that. We have bullies around the world that not individuals, but governments. We have bullies that are not individuals, but organizations. And we have bullies that are institutions, not individuals. And what I mean by bully is they just try to pound their ideas into your head. Like they're the only one right way to do something. And so for me, as I, you know, let's say the last five years, I'm really kind of getting the essence of what I mean by make people think It really gets you to accept that your way of life is the best way of life for you in your environment and what you do. And if I can focus my energy on my life and what I can do with my life and how I can affect and work with other people, I have no time to complain about how, how you do your own life and, and, and how you do your own religion and, and how you do your own culture, you know, so many times you hear people always complaining that those people are they they're the kind of people that but you need to focus on yourself you know and I, I, i'll use the, the, the in very general terms the christian faith is, that's i'm a catholic yeah, that's my faith sometimes we focus so much on you know did you see what Din long to church today i can't believe he wore that to church today you know, do you believe, do you, do you see him walking with that person? You know, between my relationship between God, me and God is, you know, why do I have to worry about you and, and try to bring you down so I can bring myself up instead of building myself? So I think I'm learning that when I make people think I'm trying to get them to get to the essence of their individuality, because we're all individuals as part of the whole, the whole world and society. But at the same time, the, un- the uniqueness and diversity of our individual stories. And you, you talked about developing stories. You know, you growing up in France and from Vietnam and living in Cambodia now. You know, I was born in Palau, living in the West Coast, living in the East Coast of the U.S., come back to Palau. We have really interesting stories. But those stories allow us, if you actually open up yourself and listen, will give you the purpose. And the purpose is what you contribute to the environment you live in now. You don't have to worry about the bigger world. Just your community. What can I give my community that gives them more value? You know, we always talk about uh, climate change and, and upscaling or giving value to something that can be recycled. And so that's sort of a similar thing that I'm thinking about is how can I give value to the community that I live in and work on building that community with my talent, whatever talent that might be. And the way I found my talent is I just have to figure out what is it that I love to do all the time that when I do it, time just sort of flies. And I just like, I can't believe it took me an hour and I'm already done. Well, once you've figured that out and every person has their own talent, every person has their own love, and then when you connect those two things, the talent and the love, that's where you can find your purpose and your purpose is how to implement that talent and love. So going back to the idea of all of us are born with a purpose, you know, it takes us a journey to figure out, okay, my purpose is to get people to think about their own cultures, their own politics, their own religion, their own way of doing things. And it's very valid, but I think you should learn to practice it and stop worrying about what other people do and try to tell other people what to do. So. I may not necessarily agree with the politics that you have, but I am not going to sit around and talk about you and waste my time talking about how bad you are and, and other stuff. This, literally, that's just a waste of time. Let's just try to make our community as best as possible it can be. Yes, it sounds very um, naive and uh, one of those kind of, you know, internet, you know, speak uh, self-help stuff. Uh, but... That's, that's just my purpose. That's just my, my journey. And I got to, you know, live out my journey as best I can and uh, see how I influence the people in or around me. And, and you need to, you know, find your purpose and do your journey and do you, like you do in your podcast. Uh, you know, this is what you love to do. This is the passion you have. I think if we have more passion in what we do rather than the passion of what people should be doing, I think the world should be a little bit better. So... We shall see. I still have a lot more years to live. So we'll see how it goes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, no, I found it very, very interesting because, um, yeah, you, you said before we started recording that you define yourself in as a contrarian. So, you know, always trying to make people think. What if, you know, you do something totally different or what if you, you said like, instead of turning left, you turn right. Uh, so I find it very interesting. Maybe I have, I just wonder which I, maybe it's an interesting, like, you know, like, for example, like, like you know, politics, philosophy, face. Yeah. there are so many, you know, movements or et cetera, yeah. you know, for the example, if like, when it comes to climate change, um, like, and in pala pala, pala how do you say palawan context um mm. you know, like what for example and you know you worked into energy administration you do all these things with uh, climate what would you say is the best approach to because in the end we you you or you know people still try to I mean, I agree with you in the sense making people guilty is not the best way, anyway. No. but you know, uh, you worked at the policy level. You know how what is you know best approach to okay, top emitting countries. You have to change your lifestyle. You have to stop emitting. Do you think the making people think approach still works there? It doesn't. It doesn't seem to work in in a
0: theoretical process. What we talk about. The world, because then now I have to deal with the big countries like the U.S. You have to deal with China, you have to deal with France, England, Canada. Then you have to deal with those people. And when I when I say those people, I'm talking about governments, because unfortunately, governments are what drives this this issue of climate change or, or this issue of climate crisis that's going on now. And I can't I can't change governments. I can only change individuals, and so again, it sounds maybe too naive, or what some people say is very naive TVT or something. What's that phrase that they use? But I'm not. I'm not worried about what China does or what the U.S. does. I'm worried about what I can do in Palau and how I can survive, but not necessarily just survive, but thrive. How, how do you take those crises? How do you take those? obstacles those challenges and make them opportunities you know everyone has problems we all have problems it's nothing new but how you respond to those problems that's the issue for me the thing when i say I, i like to make people think i don't want you to think that i don't have problems i have problems like everyone else has problems but it's just how i approach it right so when we talk about climate change again We live in a, you know, this gets into uh, an economic argument and we live in a global, globalized uh, community where the economy of each country is tied to another country and their lifestyle and their wealth and resources based on how to make money. It's not about how to help people. It's about how to make money. You know, how do we change the shift of economy to be an economy of enabling and helping people rather than making money? You just have to slowly take one story at a time. And I'm very, uh, um, what do you call it? Um, I'm positive that it can happen because I've seen it happen in history where individuals have different philosophical ideas. Um, And I'm going to use religion as those philosophical ideas. So there was one Jesus Christ and we have now 2,000 plus years later. We had one, the first Buddha and look, look at how it's happening now. And every religion has had a, a shift in how people perceive the environment that they live in and it takes time for it to change. So it's the same thing now. I want to talk about economy, global influence. Uh, how is it that we can just start now and lay down those seeds? Uh, there's a, a friend of mine that used likes to use the term seeds of promise. How do you lay down the seeds of promise uh, to yourself and to your community that I'm going to make an effort to not just accept everything as it is. That's what I meant by criterion. Uh, not just accept everything it is, because you don't always have to follow. You need to just pause and say, is is making a right turn the best course? Do I need to speak up because nobody else wants to speak up? Do I need to do an action because nobody else is willing to do an action? How does my individual uh, behavior in the context of whatever I live in going to affect the long-term development of that idea? And I do believe in seeds of promise in, in in this context. If I just focus on allow and do my best to allow the influence forward. It may not happen. In my not giving up, but just the easy way out because I don't want to do the hard work of fighting governments. I don't want to do the hard work of of fighting. Uh, what is the um, the English phrase? Uh, speaking truth to power. You know, maybe I don't want to do those hard work, but maybe those hard work is not necessarily the right way to do it for me. And the right way for me to do it is to deal with individuals, get them to think, give them to have alternative creative thoughts, and let them become prepared for where there's a crisis or a problem, then they'll have a solution. I have no solution for climate change. We talk about adaptation, mitigation, but how are you going to get the U.S. and China and the big countries to stop emitting? It's basically in their economic DNA to do what they do. They're not going to stop. They're not going to stop being the economic powers that they are. So, what does that do for us in Palau specifically? We need to be prepared to adapt and and be ready with technology, prepare young men and women to have the engineering experience to be able to come up with a solution when the solution needs to be done, and that's like right now, not twenty years from now. but you have them to, you have to get them to be prepared for that. so I think that's just my again my maybe my personality and my easing easy way out to say I just got to focus on Palau and the community that I live in and then slowly build Uh, rather than taking on this big, huge world and yell at the top of my lungs and scream and still nothing happens. Um, I I don't want to sound like a negative person, but I I don't want to waste my time yelling and screaming and nothing happens. I just want to do my small little part here in Palau and see what happens
1: and, and do what we do. We talk stories. And maybe that's a young um, Oh, go ahead. No, uh, yeah. Is it something you always believed in? Or is it something you, you know, you you, you realized recently because you tried different things and you were like, okay, I, actually I need to focus on Palau. Yeah. I think that's it. I, I, I've I never been afraid
0: to try things. And if they fail, I move on to another, try things. And, and I think that's the problem with us sometimes as human beings and, the cultures that we come from and the environment we live in is we're told not to fail. And when you fail, it's a shame. No, I'm not afraid to fail. You know, we just keep trying on and seeing what we can do and, and develop it as, as, we move forward. But it's within the last couple of years that it's been developed that way. Um, so like I said, I tried so many different things and then it's just my latest attempt to try to find a solution. Uh, to a very old, old, old problem. And the old problem is, how do you change behavior? (laughs) And every psychologist, every social scientist, every religion, um, every government, uh, every institution has tried to answer, this is how you change behavior. And I personally have come to realize that there is not one right way to do it. I just need to learn to... Understand the environment I'm in, the interaction I have with the environment and the people, and then try to come up with a solution in that environment. Because what works in Palau does not necessarily work in France or the US, but the principles do work. And what I mean by the principles is, is sometimes we, sometimes we come up with an idea and we publicly say it, but without having a, having a discussion with the community around us you know and i believe in like discussing things and debating things but on a very kind of a private personal level if i can debate people in Palau, you know of course if i have an audience that believe what i believe in that's so great i got so many likes that's awesome but it doesn't change anything because they believe what i believe in and i need to try to help work with people who don't believe what i believe in or Actually, have a totally different perspective than I do. So I need to figure out how to uh, listen to them and say, "Why? Why do they have a different perspective than I do?" And then that's the dialogue that we have, and the dialogue leads to possible uh, discussions that says, "Hey, you, you know, you people are really not that way, or allowance are really not that way. You know, you realize that we're not those bad people." And I realize that they are not those bad people. And I are like, oh human beings. Maybe mm-hmm. we're not necessarily human beings. We're human doing. So we need to just continue plodding on. And I, I believe in just trying to treat as individuals as best I can respectfully. And I respectfully uh disagree with you, but I'll be very open about my disagreement, be very open and debate and talk. But eventually we'll get to that path. Sometimes we we set time limits. That says it has to be done now. No, no. Like I told you, I believe in this idea of duality. So we have this climate crisis. It's a problem. Uh, I know there's a solution. It's not right now, but there's a solution. And sometimes we need to learn to be patient, to actually sit there, don't say anything, and listen. And silence is so powerful you know so some of us talk too much like i've been doing a lot of talking too much uh currently um and that's what we do in the media in social media we talk too much about problems 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 um everyone has a solution and it causes the problems and the problems become more problems sometimes you just yes it's a crisis but we don't have to move faster. There, there's no there's no need to move too fast there's there's a, there's a Palawan phrase that says if you sometimes go too fast, uh, you also go too slow. Yeah. Okay? So when you do things really fast, you do it slower because you make mistakes. Uh, I think the American uh, story is the rabbit and the, the hare and the turtle, the tortoise and the hare. I think it's a story about the, the rabbit running on a race and the tortoise, the, the turtle beating it because it's so, not turtle, tortoise, tortoise is the one that's on land. So they're racing and the tortoise is just prodding along. And it's an interesting story that says, you don't necessarily have to be the fastest. Just kind of don't be consistent, be consistent, be consistent, be consistent. And the more consistent you become, the more you're, you you you're seen as actually believing those things. And when people believe in what you do and what you say, the power in the change in behavior is amazing. I, I, I don't have a, 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 an influence of a lot like what I say, everything goes. But I, I've, I've been hopefully starting with my kids and starting with my students. These young men and women will be uh, creative thinkers in the future. Not necessarily how I want them to think, but let them be their own creative thinkers. And they'll probably come up with their own solutions. And I'm very hopeful for that.
1: You know, you told me you, so you were born in Palau, move, had to move to the U.S. at six, stayed 20 years there. Uh, you know, why did you come back to Palau? You know, you could have stayed in the U.S., I guess, but why, you know, me, I, I, I started to really care about Vietnam and wanted to go back there when around my twenties, early twenties. Uh, now I really, now I'm 28, I really want to live there. Uh, so I wonder for you how was it like like you know how was your palau link you know throughout your childhood teenage years, early twenties, and when you know like okay, I'm moving back to palau yeah that's an interesting question thanks um
0: you know like like we talked about it earlier, you know you grew up in an environment where the house was Vietnamese, but when you step out the door it was French. And I also kind of grew up in an environment where the inside of the house is Palawan and I step out of the door and it's an American. And the Northeast is a very interesting place to live because that's where I grew up in New Jersey. Uh, I've never grew up in any other place in the U S so I can't speak for how they uh, behave and only what you see on TV, the people from this place act that way. But the Northeast is interesting because, um, uh, we're we're loud that we're open we think we're the center of the universe you know there's no other place in the u.s but the northeast but living in the household that's Palawan, i've always had a connection to palau we come home and visit uh, whenever we can and so i've always visited i never thought i would live here um as a young teenager i i wanted to travel the world i wanted to meet different people um but for some reason, uh, it just happened when I graduated from college, and I was telling my mother, I said, Mom, I think I want to join the Peace Corps, because I want to travel and, and because and, my background is social work, social work and political science. And I said, oh, I want to see if I can put my 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 degree into action, and I think action is a Peace Corps, the U.S. is Peace Corps. I want to go to Africa for two, three years, I want to go to South America for two, three years. If if I'm allowed, I want to go to Southeast Asia for two, three years, and, and you know, I'm still young. I'm 21. Uh, I think I was 26 when I graduated at the time. So my my thoughts were always traveling the world and seeing the world on other people's money. Yeah. So the best way to travel is other people's money. I just got to put my time into the work. But my mother says, you know, why don't you just go home to Palau and see me what he, he can do? That what well, you want to do as a, as a Peace Corps, or you want to do that outside of, of the U.S. Why don't you just go to Palau and see if you can do that? Just go for six months or go for a year and see if you can live back home. Because, you know, you come in to visit, I don't know, uh, um, maybe different cultures have different ways to to welcome you home. But in Palau, when you come home, you know, the first month is always fun because everybody takes care of you and takes you out and, and shows you everything. And then after a month, then you have to be on your own, you know. Uh, so I said, let me just go back and see if I can live there for over six months months and and, and see what happens and interesting thing is I came home at 26 and after a month or so I just felt like I found my place uh I knew exactly my place meaning you know knowing your place is not necessarily a bad phrase what I mean by that is I I know I'm from this island I'm from this clan I'm from these people and this is what we do And Palau is small enough that actually I can physically see the effect I have on young men and women. Where if I did this elsewhere with millions of people rather than tens of thousands of people, maybe the effect will, you know, I don't see the effect. I I don't feel like I'm contributing to the overall uh, benefit of the community. And so I said, let me see what happens. And after three months, I literally just told my mother, send all my stuff. I am not leaving Palau. That was 1994 and I have not left. And and the longer I stay in Palau, the more I feel more comfortable and more confident and um, more able to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish. Yeah, it's a small corner of the world, but great things come from small things. You know, great oak trees come from small acorns. You know, those are, Again, these are all internet philosophical kind of little phrases that keep you going. You know, so you never know uh, what what are the the long term effects of the work I do in Palau. I can't tell you what that effect will be, but I can tell you that I'm pr- pretty positive that young men and women think differently and be able to approach problems differently. And that's just literally the goal I was thinking about when I said I'm I want to make you think differently. Or, I want to just make you think. Uh, think the way you think whether you're conservative whether you're you're liberal whatever think whatever you want to think in the context of your culture but how you solve problems you have to come up with it in a creative manner that's what i'm hoping that at least the the long lasting uh value that i can give my community uh you know we always like to think that we give value to our community i hope that's at the end of the day the value that I give to my community is I help young men and women think differently and look at problems differently. And then they come up with the solutions uh, for the problems that they will face in the future, because I'm trying to learn how to do that now. And this is I think I can solve these problems now. So it's never been something I ever thought about living in Palau, but, but now coming back home like you, I just cannot see myself leaving, living me. I just feel like I'm a part. Of the bigger uh, community of Palau, and I feel like I have an effect in Palau, and that affected Palau helps me influence and affect Micronesia and the Pacific, and then the world itself because of whatever little things that I do. You know, hopefully it trickles down. Um, you know, it's so nice to hear little little things come up here and there that you said before. People are kind of repeating, and it's interesting, but repeating what you say is very different than putting into action so i haven't yet to see the actual action yet i've heard people say what i've said but we'll, we'll see what happens uh, god willing in the future come out as as positive as i m- imagine it in my head to be uh, but um, uh, in my personal belief you do the best you can and you put it in god's hands and then that's all you can do uh, the American phrase we use is let go and let God. So it's sort of do the best you can, put it out to the universe, and then that's it. That's you just have to continue to be the best human being you can in the best context that you can find yourself in and treat everybody as best as possible. That's how I found myself in follow
1: You know, like you, so you, you, you arrived and, and you speak about these three months, you know, after three months, you call your mom, yeah, bring all my stuff. Well, what did you actually do during the first three months? The funny thing is I didn't do anything but play and position. <laughs> <music.
0: laughs> I I I literally just hung out with relatives, reconnecting with relatives. I, after the first month, I basically have to kind of, you know, everybody's nice to you for about a month and then after the month you have to kind of live on your own and figure out your own way and and it was that learning how to how am I going to survive in Palau? what am I going to do in Palau? what kind of work am I going to do that's the kind of thing that allowed me to say you know what I've always had this kind of uh not an empty feeling but sort of a I've always had to prove myself because I don't belong in that environment. I, I'm not an, um, an American in the true sense that I was born and raised there. I'm an American, meaning I was raised there. I know the culture. I know the people. But I was never like, I never felt like part of it. It's like when I came back home, it's just, I don't know, it's just sort of a, a thought in my head. I, I just feel like I'm a part of something. I feel kind of whole, even though there's problems that come with it. I still feel kind of whole. And so I don't know if that makes sense, you know, feeling whole and complete with all the things around you. I'm still very satisfied. Uh, I'm very humbled by the fact that I live in Palau. I get to live in Palau actually. Rather than saying I live in I get to live in Palau. I get to have the life that I have. It's it's not the million dollar kind of thing where I had mansions and stuff. But I would never trade it for the world. It's, Something that I, I feel very passionate about. Small islands, small things become big things.
1: <laughs> and that's when you started teaching, 94? Uh, no, actually, work, I started working at the president's office in
0: the planning and subsistence office. I, I've had many different jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I started teaching in 90, 95, 96. I was hired at the college in the recreation department, uh, where the dorm students were living. And I was in charge of activities, organizing activities for the dorm students and the students of the college. Well, oh, that's nice. <laughs> and, and my hours of working was like, I think it's like one o'clock in the afternoon to 10 o'clock at night. And I just, I just got married. I, my oldest daughter was just born and I'm learning this schedule and then. You know, things happen for whatever reason they happen, and uh, an individual in the faculty started It needed a quick; they needed somebody to fill in the the role of the liberal arts instructor, the social science instructor. And they knew I had a degree um, in social work and uh, some background in political science. And they says, "Would you like to teach?" I said, "Sure." You know, my my father Tom Chilton always told me, you know. It's always best to be prepared for an opportunity that never comes than not be prepared when the opportunity comes. And so I've always been ready to do whatever is asked of me and they said, "Would you like to teach?" I said, "Sure. I I don't have any teaching experience." And I think that was I think that was a blessing for me that I didn't have a teach I don't I didn't have a teaching degree. So I was not stuck in the paradigm of teaching this way. I was trained as a social worker. And in social work, the school I went to was Rutgers University in New Jersey, the School of Social Work. And we were trained that your toolbox should be full of different tools. And depending on the situation and the case you're working on, you pull out a different tool uh, to work that. So if it's counseling, you do counseling. If it's intervention, you do intervention. If it's uh organizing, you do organizing. If it's uh, uh policy, you do policy. So it was not just, you know, you just do interview. I mean, uh, um, counseling as part of it. So I kind of brought that philosophy to teaching. So I taught the way I thought kids should learn. And so I just, just came up with different things within the realm of the, the, the curriculum. I didn't go too far away from the curriculum until I got more confident in, in getting the students to ask questions. But I think it was a blessing in this And I spent uh, 16 years as a teacher before I moved on to different uh, um, careers, and so from teaching, and then, of course, I've always did sports. We, we worked with the uh, our National Olympic Committee uh, since we began the National Olympic Committee back in 1998. Uh, so I've always been involved in sports, uh, specifically wrestling first, uh, weightlifting, table tennis, and currently I'm very involved with archery and sailing, um, two kind of Passions that I've been developing since I've been in Palau. Um, uh, so sports is, um, is an idea in Palau is we, we really focus it on a national community change development through sports. Uh, so we use sports as sort of like the, the way to get into the door. And then we work with all the other, uh, development, uh, issues, whether climate change, uh, education, economy, develop, community development. Um, so sport is the one that everyone has in their communities. And it's, uh, it's sort of a, um, what do you call it? When you, it brings people together, no matter what you do, it always brings people together. Um, and that allows us to have that audience that we can, uh, you know, deal with nutrition, health, uh, social issues. Uh, and so that's always been my two kind of path in Palau, education and sports. And I'm still doing sports. Uh, I'm doing education differently now. I'm no longer teaching at the college, but I'm still going to the community and hopefully I'll continue to influence it in that manner, uh, young men and women in Palau and my Korean We shall see what happens.
1: Are you a sports person before the Olympic committee? Uh, I actually wrestled for Palau. Yes, I I... Oh, uh, oh. I,
0: I, I, I Fancy myself as a pretty decent wrestler. Uh, but, uh, the truth be, the truth be told is I, I tried my best, uh, but there's always somebody better than me. <laughs> uh, but I played sports in when I was in the U.S., and I played American football. That's my passion. Uh, wrestling is the second. And now with sailing and, uh, archery, I play, um, I participate. But I'm not a, 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 a national athlete and my body just cannot handle the, the work that's needed to uh, be able to, you know, say, wrestle full-time or be a full-time athlete. I, I'm more of the trying to organize uh, the sports, trying to develop young men and women in sports to be, you know, you never know. One day you might find a Pallon Archer uh, shooting in the Olympic Games and you heard it here first. Uh I hope to be that kind of uh uh coach, uh organizer that will help a Palauan athlete and become an Olympic archer and participate in Olympic Games and literally in a really good tournament, uh competing against some of the top archer archers in the world. And we're very blessed that Korea is right next door, Japan is right next door, uh, in terms of Palau locations. Um and they're some of the best. Type, Koreans are some of the, not some of the best. They are probably the best archers uh, uh, out there. I'm sure there's a lot of other people that uh, listen to your or listen to your podcast that disagrees with me. But, um, you know, uh, you just have to, uh, I believe in sports, you have to uh, uh, kind of compete against the best. And so you can see what it takes to be the best. Even if you lose a hundred times out of a hundred, you always know what it takes to be the best. And then you keep learning through experience and practice and technique until you can actually give it to the next generation. Or you can actually learn yourself and go out and beat the best. And archery is one of those sports that I felt that you don't need a specific build. You don't have to be six foot tall. Uh, you don't have to be 200 and some pounds. Uh, You don't have to have very fast hands for boxing or it's a a very technical sport. Basically, you and your bow and your arrow. And I think we're all even when we're at the shooting line that you and I are even. It's just a matter of how long you've been shooting and and are you mentally tough enough to say, I'm not worried about you, I'm just going to worry about me and that target. And the interesting thing about it is, is you can actually talk about life that way. I just—it's really about me, and the target is my life, and how do I always organize myself in that kind of direction? You know, to be prepared, uh, to be disciplined, uh, to be ready no matter what the situation is. To always remember that there is always somebody better than somewhere, somewhere around the world. There's always somebody better than. You know, I don't care who you are. Uh, even the great Alexander Krenler, the, the Russian uh, Greco-Roman wrestler, was going for his fourth Olympic gold medal, and he went against the guy from the U.S. and lost 1-0. Uh, <laughs> so there's always somebody better than you around. Well, everybody thought he was going to win his fourth gold medal. He lost it. He lost to literally an unknown guy. Uh, I couldn't, you know what? I don't even know his name now. Some, it's a U.S. wrestler. <laughs> yeah. So there's always somebody better than you, but with sports, it, it helps you kind okay, you're better than me, but how are you better than me? Are you training three hours a day? Yeah, I need to train four hours or five hours a day. Are you using different technique? What technique are you using? Let me see if that technique works for me. How do I tweak that technique? Uh, are you taking mental imagery classes so you can see the arrow hitting the target all the time? Are you taking uh, wind classes so you can kind of feel the wind and you know how many miles per hour it is so you can adjust your arrow to that distance? I, what is it that you do that makes you so great? And then I try to follow it and make it my own so I can also be great thing. So That's one thing I love about sports and well, specifically archery. Uh, whether you're male or female, I believe that uh, we could always shoot the same. We shoot in the same distance anyway, 70 meters. Uh, I just don't know why we still have a male and female category in archery when we actually shoot the same distance. But it would be interesting one day in Olympic Games that you actually have a, a, a women gold medal in an individual recurve uh, competition. We'll actually shoot against the male gold medal and to see who actually is the best archer in the world, rather than saying the best male archer and the best female archer, really interesting. You know, these are the things I I talk about being a contrarian, uh, just making me think. Like, why is it not possible? We literally shoot in the same seventy
1: meters. Now, I think to- some- Tokyo had had its first mix Mixed event, uh, in in which I don't remember which sport.
0: Um no it's it's uh archery it's mixed oh, event. Oh, archery.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah. So I think they may have some other mixed events. I think Tokyo was trying to push uh sort of gender uh, inclusion and mm. uh but the mixed event in archery was a male and female shooting against another male and female. So mm. the, the the Palau team was shooting against the Vietnamese team, me and another female and yeah. you and another female. But I'm more interested in saying uh the women who are the winners of the gold medals should shoot against the men who are in those yeah. gold medals to kind of see who is the best male, who is the best team event. It'd be interesting. Um, and the way things are going on in the Olympic movement, it may come sooner than we think Just they're doing a mixed event. Some events uh, doesn't need any specific gender that kind of highlights it. So maybe, mm. you know, we can see that one day. I'm hoping to see it one day, but we'll see.
1: For everyone who's listening, you cannot see him, but coming back to the wrestling and American football, Tuti is very strong. <laughs> you can't. Be, people cannot see that.
0: Sometimes, sometimes images can be falsified, Yeah. So. <laughs>
1: um and yeah no i think it's so interesting sports education and how you link both together i think that's a super interesting part i love you even convinced me to try archery <laughs> hey i i hope i hope we do try i mean it's
0: again it's um uh, when i first saw archery in 2004 uh, i was happy to be on the group for palau to the games in athens greece and when I got to the archery venue, and they usually do these uh, kind of ranking um, um, events where we all shoot like 72 arrows and um, how what, whatever your points are. So if you shoot 72 arrows, uh, your high score will be 720 because if you hit 10 73 mm-hmm. times, it'll be 720. And they're doing it at a 70 meter distance, right? And so based on you know your score then the number one will do what they call like a match play so like maybe uh you you and i will shoot against each other if you win you move forward and i lose right so when i got there they were doing the the kind of the ranking event i just saw this whole field of all these uh archers from every country and i and if i'm then i'm don't quote me on that, but I think it was like 64 archers. I think that's the limit that they can get at 64 archers, right? And I just happened to be there when the men were there. So you see all these, like, say, 64 uh, men on one side of the, the field shooting 70 meters. And you know how in basketball or some sports, you, you may just you find a certain physical characteristic that's always the same? In some of those athletes, in archery, there was no individual characteristic. You had tall, short, kind of stocky people, skinny people. I've seen some archers with a little bit of belly. I've seen some archers with no belly. You know, uh, I, and, and they just they they shoot really well. And so I'm like, you know, I don't have to be a certain physical person to shoot archery. I just need to practice and learn the technique. And that's really what got into my head. You know, like I need to. I really like to allow because, you know, we're a small country and maybe the best events we can participate in might be individual sports. And archery for me is, is one of those individual sports that gives us an equal opportunity because it's just all a matter of how I practice, how much I put my effort into it. Whether I'm just as good as the best Korean or the best Japanese or the best American or the best whoever. The only difference between them and me is the fact that they are more experienced and they have better practice. So I need to figure that out for myself. So once I felt that way about archery, yeah. man, I I'm, I'm still not the best. I I I don't shoot very well 70 meters, uh, but I do I do shoot a lot. We do shoot a lot of barebow and in lot, which is you shoot without the sight. And just the individual competition is so fun, you know. Just imagine you and I shooting 30 meters with three arrows each and we're just talking trash between the two of us, you know, on, on the shooting line, <laughs> you know, taking our scores. Like I got a nine, 10, 10, and you got a eight, nine, nine. I still beat you and then, then move on. It's fun. Um, but the other health part about it that I'm learning is we actually walk in the 30 meters. Imagine if we're shooting, uh, 10 ends. So an end is three arrows and you shoot three arrows or you shoot six arrows. And you go and you walk and get your score. So imagine walking 30 meters, you know, there and back is 60 meters and you do that 10 times, you know. So it's not just, you know, you're pulling the ball, but it's actually a physical thing. Walking is a good thing. So you sneak in the health part while you talk about the competition part, you know. So I hope you do try. Please take some pictures and send them. If you actually try archery, I would
1: love to. I will, I will. But so, like, so you discovered the sport at, 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 uh, in, in Greece to, wait, it's, uh, to like 2004. Four. in the, in, so like, you, then you come back to Palau and you're like, let, let's start the archery <laughs> sport. Basic, basically, I came back to Palau and I, I gathered some
0: friends who are also interested in some of the things that I'm interested in. So we need to start an archery program in Palau. You know? And mm-hmm. we got it going and it's been going. Slow moving because we don't have the, you know, we're not experienced, you know, we're isolated, Um, but it's slow moving. So 2004 and now it's 2021. And now we're making the next step. We actually participated in 2019 at uh, the Pacific Games in Samoa. So we do a lot of participation in Palau just to get the organization going. And then we were very fortunate to bring our first three male uh, team to Samoa, and uh, we did a lot better than we expected. Uh, the first time the three guys went off, they and to two in 2017, and uh, we were shooting like hunters, so we had a bow that's 50 pounds, and most archers don't pull 50 pounds, because if you pull 50 pounds 72 times, your arm is going to go, you know, and the bows we had were pretty much hunting. So we don't have a site that can kind of line to 70 meters. So the boys were actually aiming at the trees behind the targets and figuring it out. If I go up about six inches above the target, it'll land short. So I need to go about seven inches higher. So we didn't have the real targets. That's 2017. And then the boys came back home and they were so mad at me for sending them out that way without being really prepared that it forced them to go out and buy the real uh, sights and the real bows. And so we went to Samoa, and two years later, and the same archers that shot with them in Vanuatu were so surprised, uh, one of the young men actually shot uh, the round of 72, the ranking one, and he placed number six out of 21. Uh, so imagine two years before, in 2017, and they were shooting 50-pound bows, like hunting bows with thick arrows with target with fights that cannot reach 70 meters and then two years later because of their own effort they trade they they went on youtube we did all these things and he was able uh edward was able to place number six out of overall all the pacific archer males that were in samoa and that's two years is uh is a good step for us. And unfortunately, we couldn't go to the the, the Oceania Championships in 2020 because of COVID. And so we're slowly coming out of it now. But we've, we've been having local events in Palau. Um, and I'm very happy for that. And I'm hoping it's going to continue on next year. We'll have, uh, uh, we're planning four events and a national championship for next year. So we'll see what happens, you know. Able to get some money to, to to buy some equipment. So people are going to be a little bit more competitive now. They see what that level looks like. And, you know, hopefully we'll continue with the drive and interest for that.
1: So it makes me think of uh, what you said before we recorded that Tuti means the one who starts things. Okay. Uh, I like to think that it is, but you know, it's like kind of beginning
0: or moving or pushing something. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's what you said. Putting the oh, you you said it better so than what I'm going to say. But putting <laughs> your name in action, so you said something like paraphrasing. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, that's uh, you know when we kept talking about purpose and and finding your path and the journey that you're on, you know, all these little things kind of pop up and just like oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. And I like doing that. I've always had a personality like that anyway. I don't like to do what everybody does. I just always have to be different. Uh, And I guess this is, you just live up to your name. You know, everyone has a name. There's a meaning behind each name, whether you're named after your family, named after certain leaders. uh, You sort of, it's sort of like uh, in uh, psychology, they say, what is it? uh, self-fulfilling prophecies. like I think the phrase, I'm, I'm using it very loosely here, uh, but it's sort of like, you know, how you can just sort of kind of internalize those meanings and actually uh, uh, behave in those particular manners uh, from there. So I hope I, you know, make my namesake very proud because I'm actually named after my, uh, my great-grandfather. And so... I hope I make his uh, namesake very proud and make it synonymous with something uh, good and something new and, and something creative. That's what I hope to be uh, synonymous mm-hmm. with, yeah.
1: I have a question about Palau. Because um, you arrived in 94. I, I So yeah, I told you I watched so many random videos on YouTube about right. Palau. I read the whole... I mean i had I, I read a bit the wikipedia page mm. so i just wonder like from your own eyes you must have seen so much change in palau since 94 just wonder if you could share with me you know like how has i mean it's a, it's a big question uh even if you ask me for friend, i don't know how to answer but you know how um, has palau changed since 94 I've seen a video that was speaking about different waves of tourism, different wave of countries that provided, you know, aid. Uh, so I just wonder, you know, what have you observed? I, I think because
0: we're using this form of media, we're actually doing a Zoom. So I'm seeing you and you're seeing me, but I'm sure it's only going to be audio on your podcast. So I'll give you only technology changes since 1994. When I first came to Pala, there was no internet, okay? And I would literally have to write a letter to my mother who lives in New Jersey and say, hello, how are you doing? I miss you. And by the way, can I borrow $20? And that letter <laughs> would be sent, uh, you know, two weeks there. And a two weeks later, the letter would come back and it would say, well, we miss you too very much and we love you, but no, you cannot get $20. So... 1994 is what? That's what? 27, 25 years ago? 27? 20, 28 years ago? Something like that, right? So I used to have to write a letter uh, to my parents. Now I can go online and email them and get literally a 20 second reply or 20 minute reply or 20 hour reply. It's no longer a whole month to let it go in there and come back. So, internet. Uh, social media is, is by far the biggest change that I've seen in Palau. Uh, for example, outside of the example of writing the letter and you and I do the interview, uh, online and I'm sitting here also in my house and you're sitting in your house, uh, in two different countries and having this conversation is freaking amazing for technology wise. But just sharing things in Palau with the outside world, you know, uh, I'm not, a, I'm not trying to promote any kind of social media app or anything, but I just have to use the example of the, the Facebook live, uh, allows us to share things in Allah that normally would not be able to share. Um, because then I would have to videotape it, send you the CD, send you the, well, send you the VHS first. I don't know if you know about VHS. Uh, and then the CD. And then the the, the MP3 uh, player, and now we have streaming. You know, I'm I'm a fan of streaming. I love movies, so thank goodness we are able to get Netflix and pull out. So, you know, that's that's the biggest change. But that biggest change is also affecting um our our our, soul, our society. Our young men and women are stuck. You know, I don't know if you ever seen that picture of like evolution where human beings are like monkeys. They're like slump over and they slowly be able to stand up straight. And then they slump over because they're in front of a desk. You know, so the kind of a funny picture of them being on all fours as a primate and then become a human. And then now you're on uh, literally all fours. Your feet is on the ground on a chair and you're typing. Right. Mm -hmm. So now it's kind of a, it's unfortunate, but because of the smartphone, uh, whatever smartphone you use. Uh, I, I just think we're kind of becoming like uh, less connected human beings and more connected virtual reality beings. Uh, so I can text you and you text me, but we don't have a chance to sit down and, and, and actually interact face-to-face. I mean, we're doing it now, but it's virtual. So I think that's the biggest change in Palau. Uh, Of course, we have physical changes. We have roads that are paved now rather than dirt roads before. Uh, We have boats with 200 horsepower engines rather than 40 horsepower engines or 85 horsepower engines. Uh, We have cars from the U.S., cars from Japan. Uh, We're doing renewable energy now, so we have solar on rooftops for individual households. Uh, we're finalizing our, our, solar for the, for the country. Uh, hopefully we'll talk about green hydrogen in the future for Palau to become a hundred percent, fossil fuel free country. So those are all changes, like all other countries, uh, have changed. But for me, I, I, I feel the social media the most. Uh, I, I feel kind of sad for my young men and women in Palau who are not out playing like I used to play. And I, I guess it's just different. Uh, just a different society, different community. They'd rather be online uh, than be in line, you know. So sort of, mm. um, I'm doing my social media, whatever I'm doing, but I don't want to be around people. And I know that's not a truce, that's not a fa- factual statement. It's just sort of, I just observe that in young men and women. They, they, they're so stuck in their iPhones or their Samsung or whatever they they are it as a, as a smartphone that they're so kind of disconnected from the environment. Um, so interestingly enough, there's a Netflix um, special documentary called Social Dilemma. I don't know if you've seen that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It's kind of a scary thing to talk about an IA that kind of correlates all these things that you like and give you what you like at the tip of your finger. So it's kind of like... oh. Oops. So I, I never really knew this until I saw that, that if I'm typing Google, a uh, climate change, I'll have a different number one item than you would when you type it from where you're at because we have two different interests. So I'm like, I thought Google, when you type in, you know, the search engine, you get all the same. No, no. Mm. It's kind of scary that people can be fed what they believe in and what they think it's true. And the internet does it. So I still remember having to go to a library, looking up in the card catalog, uh, the, the name of the author. And then I look at it and I say, okay, here's the number. So it'll be like M379.20. And I have to take the, the, write the letter and I go and I go to the actual aisle of the library and look for M379.20 and I find the book. Now I can just go online and go to uh, Amazon Kindle type in what I want to read and download it and it comes to my book, my iPad and Palau, and I I don't have to buy anything and it's all digital. So I actually just bought uh, the 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 whole five book series of Dune. I don't know if you ever read that book Dune by Strike Herbert it's an interesting um a sci-fi one of the first kind of sci-fi movies about uh, uh the, the, the Desert and, and stories behind uh, the legends and things of that particular cult. I don't want to say too much since you may, uh people may want to see the movie, that the new movie that came out, and I may mess up their, their, their spoiler alert, but it's a very interesting book. And there's five books that the author wrote, and I was able to download all five books into my Kindle. You know, just paying online, paying one, simple fee or whatever it was and boom instantly well not instantly say next 10-15 minutes I opened it on my Kindle and the books are right there all five books that's freaking amazing so you know Palau is changing that way Uh and it's good because we have access to a lot of good information but we also have a lot of access to a lot of bad information so it's sort of not screened enough for my taste but uh, when it comes to freedom of of information and all the other the rights that people have we just have to teach our young men and women to be able to do better research and say if i 'm reading an article from this website it 's not necessarily a very uh uh, uh a valid website it 's just an opinion and you need to look at other websites that actually mm-hmm. have uh a
1: history of writing factual information and compare what people say so but it's really that, linked to what you were telling me, like uh you know, making people think, making people yes. think of something else different rather than okay, you Google something, you read article number one, and you believe it's the absolute truth. Mm. And that article that was given to
0: you as article one was not necessarily your choice. It was actually an IA that gave it to you. So that's yeah. even more scary. You know. And so it makes you really have to be careful. Like, yeah, I'll read article one, and I'll put it aside, and I'll go look for article two, three, four, and five, uh, just to have comparison, so I can see is is this did article one have the same that article two to five have? Do they say the same thing, or are there different opinions around the world? And if there's different opinions, then I need to research more and, and go to the quote unquote safe. Uh, verifiable sources. You know, if I want to read something about medicine, I go to reputable medical journals to read those research. Uh, I listen to reputable uh, medical practitioners or experts rather than everyone underneath the sun. Uh, YouTube is a great source, but they're not necessarily 100% experts in everything. Uh, TikTok is a great source, but they're not 100% experts at everything. Uh, So I'm not going to get my scientific uh, slash medical uh, slash political economic uh, uh, answers from social media. It's it's a place where I can start, but I should not end there. I should do other research as best I can. And uh, that's the biggest change right now. I remember not having a phone. In Palau. I I remember not having a cell phone in Palau. This is 1994. Now I have a cell phone. And everybody calls me from everywhere. And I'm like, I need to get rid of this damn cell phone. And people get mad at you for not answering your cell phone now. That's the funny thing. They, they, you know, people never really get mad at you when you call your house and you don't answer. They just know you're not home, right? Now, people call you on your cell phone and you don't answer. They get mad at you. Like, you know, why don't you answer your cell phone? I said, well, you know, when I'm in a bank or I'm in a church or I'm in a meeting, I actually turn my cell phone on silent and I put it away. Because in the bank, I'm waiting online to do what I got to do. I'm in church. I'm in the church to do what I got to do. I don't have time to answer the phone. I do not have to answer it. But I don't know if you ever read that. First uh, psychological uh, research called Pavlov's Dog, where the scientist would ring a bell or uh, I think it's a metrodome, or well, let's say let's just say make a noise, and then give the dog food and measure the saliva that comes out, right? And then they do that often enough and long enough that it becomes a habit. And so now they just ring the bell and they don't give them the food and the saliva's already running. Imagine what those dings are, those alerts are on our phones. Have you ever sat there and it rings and it dings and you almost automatically pull your hand out to pick up your phone? That's Pavlov's dogs right there. And I do not want technology to control my life. It does to some extent. I put it on silent. I put it away. Even in meetings, you know, I, I, I really, I don't try to tell people how to live their life because that's their choice, but it's one of my idiosyncrasies. If we're at a meeting, please don't put your phone on silent and put it on top of the table. And then you're constantly looking at it while we're having a meeting. Why, why don't you just put your phone, put it in your bag and sit there and have a regular meeting with a notepad or whatever you use. And please don't tell them you're taking notes on your phone. You know, be engaged in a meet. That's just one of my idiosyncrasies. Like, I, I, my tech peeves. I just, it just bothers me that I do it. I look at my phone when I'm talking to you. Imagine me talking to you and I have my phone like this and up. Um, this is interesting. That's how much technology has changed uh, our behavior. Uh, and again, going back to the original thought of changing behavior. Uh, so there was an interesting article about media that I read and the, the author will come to me in my head later on, but basically the the paraphrase of the quote is, we create tools and thereafter tools create us. And basically that means that we created the the smartphone and that would become the lapdog of the smartphone because we literally move whatever beep notification and we don't, We don't set up boundaries. I don't have to answer my phone all the time. But now everybody thinks she should. In the middle of shopping, in the middle of taking care of your kids, in the middle of a lunch dinner, or I mean, not a lunch dinner, in a lunch, you get a phone call, you know, call me between the hours of 8 in the morning Mm -hmm. and 11, and call me between the hours of 1, And six, when I go home, I should just go home. But you call me and be like, hey, what are you doing? I said, I'm actually spending time with my family. Man, I don't need to be speaking to you right now if you don't mind. But people do mind. And people get upset. And I'm bothered about that. But again, remember, technology, human beings create technology. And thereafter, technology creates us as human beings. It's a very interesting thought. In terms
1: of changing behaviors, yeah, and I guess it's. Well, I don't know if, when you, towards the end of your teaching, if your st- students already had laptops and phones, um, but I guess it will have changed as well the environment in your classroom. Yeah, it,
0: even now, I I remember teaching classroom with a overhead projector. Do you remember those things? Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. A a square box with a light, and you have these clear paper flash that you write on, and you put it on top of that, and it projects it into the wall. Now I use my computer and a PowerPoint. I don't do lectures anymore on the board because literally my handwriting stinks. If I write on the board, you will not know what I wrote. So I prepare PowerPoints, my PowerPoints outline the ideas and thoughts, and then I just talk stories based on ideas and thoughts. And I share the articles that I I, I use for the, the PowerPoints. So a lot of stuff that I use now is mostly digital. So it's, it's no longer... It's very hard to find young men and women or people in general that have really good writing, uh, 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 cursive writing. No one takes calligraphy anymore, kind of style. So, mm. when you when I write, I'm um, I write very fast. So I may give you the first two letters, and then there's be a line, you know. And then I have to go back and reread it again and be like, "What did I meant to say? That did I meant to say three the though? What did I meant to say? And then I read the sentence. Oh, I meant to say the Like so, I have like a th and a line, you know. Mm. But with with typing. It's very clear. It's clean. It's clear. So I don't take notes anymore. Uh, when I was in school, I try to just type things up. But then I got older and I started reading different articles and I realized that some, some researchers say that uh, you don't really process information as much when you type as you do when you write. Uh, somehow writing is a more physical uh, um, activity that connects the brain and the body together. That you actually process the, the information before you write it down and typing becomes sort of like a root kind of behavior. So you just type stuff down. So I try now, I'm doing now, I'm trying to write things now, you know, but technology is amazing. Technology is great, but it can also be our biggest downfall if we depend on it too much. Yeah? Cause what happens if we don't have any more power to charge our fault? What, I got to read a book now? I literally pick up a physical book and read it? Oh my goodness, that's such hard work. You know, a lot of my friends and colleagues do a lot of their work on their phones, and it's amazing. I don't know how they can read that small screen. But they do emails, they do all, and I cannot, I have to use a computer. I try to separate things. Yeah. But if you don't keep up with the changes, the changes will not keep up with you. And you'll be left behind. So, there's a, a a way to 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 recognize change and deal with it and, and accept it or or not accept it. But it's going to happen whether you like it or not. And this is the same thing happening now with technology. So, either surf the internet or surf uh, the waves on the shore. It's still surfing though. So, you just got to go with the wave and see what it, what it takes us to.
1: Yeah, it's funny how you explain this, and I can really link it with everything you said. I think it's you know teaching the kids how to deal with problems, how to be ready for the future is also. I mean, I can recognize that when you speak about you know the technological changes, mm. and actually speaking about problems that will happen. I, I mean, I, before we wrap up uh, the interview, I just wanted to ask you like how. You were a teacher and how did you end up, you know, in the energy energy administration and NDC hub, more like the policy side of climate change? I just, I just wonder, like, how, how was the jump from, you know, community college to to this?
0: Well, the, the jump was not an easy one. There was a, 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 like a three-year, um, there's a three-year period of trying to learn how to be a business person. Uh, so uh, I'm sure you know and your audience will know that teaching is a very theoretical, uh, act. Uh, we share information. We do our best, especially with liberal arts and, and social sciences. Um, it's not like auto mechanics where I can talk about how to, how to change a carburetor or do a diagnostic in a computer and then actually go do it in a car. And so m- most of my work was always in very theoretical in a classroom talking about what I tips to do at school. And I, re- I, I resigned from the college because I wanted to go and try to start a school. And I spent three years trying to learn how to be a business person, which I've never done before. Um, and I was utter failure at trying to be a business person because as an academic, I'm trying to help people so I don't worry about cost. I don't know how to put cost into the things I sell. I create a lot of good stuff, but I never make money because I don't know how to be a business person. Um, the idea was to have a uh, have like a an after school program, a teaching program that helps young men and women create things. So one of the things that we created at the college uh, was based on a question I asked them, based on my research, was. What happens if the ships stop coming to Palau? What are the things that we use from ships um, that we can actually try to create on Palau? And so the kids uh, really came up with the idea of making soap. And we learned how to make soap using coconut oil, uh, lye, and water. And that was the first thing we created, and was able to make the soap. And that was the link to what we would call it reconnecting. You know, like the three R's for uh, uh, for recycling, reuse, and reduce. And we had the fourth R, which is reconnecting. And we wanted to be able to use uh, local products uh, to be able to reconnect uh, to Palau. And making soap seems like the, the simplest thing to do because everybody uses it. And how can we calculate uh, the carbon that you save if you make it on island then rather than rather getting it shipped to Palau? So those are all the academic stuff that we did. But uh, again, uh, I'm not a business person, so I didn't know what to sell the soap for. Uh, people wanted to buy things rather than make things on their own. So three years later, I got this opportunity to, to go to the energy office and... Uh, so I took the opportunity because I was not making any money, you know, making soap or, or other things. And so I, I took this opportunity to find a new challenge, energy. Hmm. I don't know, really, I don't, I don't really know anything about it. And so I spent the last five years kind of studying renewable energy, different types of technologies that we have, um, until now that I have this other opportunity, which is working with the island conservation. And um, eradicating invasive species uh, uh, to prevent uh, extinction is this is the model. And so it's interesting, you know, being a young person growing up in the US, coming back to Palau, and, and you find yourself along on this path of uh, of learning, experiencing, uh, developing career, moving to another career. And then settling in on your last sort of career. So I think this is my third and final change now. So uh, dealing with uh, island conservation and then continue to go back to these ideas of sports, community development, uh, reminding people that there are things that allow that uh, we can do and we can do it on our own. The idea of self-sustainability. Uh, uh, self-sufficiency, excuse me, and sustainability allow. So, uh, I was very fortunate with my partner, uh, partners. We created a, a nonprofit uh, called, uh, LIUS. Uh, LIUS is the allowing, uh, word for coconut and it's spelled L-I-U-S. And so we actually created an acronym for LIUS. And, uh, the L is for learn and the I is for influence. The U is for understand. And the S is for sustain. Basically, the motto is Ideas to Life. And um, how do we continue to make young men and women think? And using that uh, opportunity as a nonprofit to allow us to reconnect to Palau and reconnect to our own communities. How do we become as self-sufficient as possible uh, in a globalized environment? Uh, how do we can, how can we become more of a producer rather than a consumer? I'm trying to address all those individual questions. Um, and then trying to get young men and women to link their economic development and their education at the same time. So it's not just in the classroom learning, but it's actually hands on, uh, learning. That seems to be what a lot of young men and women in Palau thrive on is hands on learning. Actually doing and learning at the same time. Uh, there are young men and women who thrive in an academic setting, but we also need to try different things. So that's sort of how it led me to where I'm at now. And uh, I guess the last thing is I like just to say is it's everything's a journey. Uh, do not be afraid of where the journey takes you. Uh, just be prepared for anything and everything. And uh, enjoy it and make sure you network with people who can support you uh, in your dreams. Uh, um, and if you need somebody to support you in your dreams, uh, uh, feel free to contact me uh, and let me know how I can help you, you know, whatever it can be uh, using our nonprofit offering and uh our needs uh, uh, to help us uh, move forward. Um, at the end of the day, it's not necessarily what you take with you when you pass on to so the next life. It's what you left behind for individuals to use in your community. And uh, hopefully these are ideas and thoughts that uh, uh, we can drop those seeds of promise and make sure we continue to have uh, ideas and lead them to life. And so that all of us can continue to not just grow and thrive, but also survive in, uh, a lifestyle that we choose to have in our everyday life. So... I hope everyone in your communities and in your, uh, environment are, are doing well. Uh, me during this, uh, COVID, uh, this new, uh, Omnicron, uh, Baron. please be safe, be careful. And, uh, maybe one day you get a chance to come to Palau. Please look me up. Thank you for everything and thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak to you today. Thank you.
1: Yeah, um, I still have wait, three quick questions and then I'll I leave you alone. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, that was a good, uh, <laughs> um, no, I, <laughs> I love your, all the things, you know, from surviving to thriving, from consumption to production, from burden to adding value. I really love it. I think it adds up very well to, you know, why don't you turn left instead of turning right? It uh, yeah. really makes sense, you know, after listening to a preview of your journey. Um, but yeah, like I have three last quick questions uh, just Not to wrap really up, so up well. that I ask every, every guest. Uh, the first one is imagine you can go back in time. So to the tutti who is 26, I guess, in 94. <laughs> yeah, um, some, uh, you know, just before you take the flight to Palau, um, you know, what would you tell the younger Tutti? And also, how long is the flight from New Jersey to Palau? <laughs>
0: oh, that's a good question. Um, if I remember correctly, I think it took me about a, a day and a half nonstop. So I flew from Newark Airport, I think I went straight to LA, LA to Hawaii, Hawaii to Guam, and Guam to Palau. So, no work to LA, I think is like five hours. LA to Hawaii is another five to six hours. Guam, I mean, Hawaii to Guam is another six hours or so. And then Guam to Palau is about an hour and a half, two hour flight, if I don't remember correctly. I, I haven't traveled in the last two years, so I totally forget these things. So. Uh, so yeah it's about like a day and a half with all the layovers in between but what I would tell my 26 year old self on that day before I get on the flight uh, based on what I know now I would definitely tell myself don't sweat too many things just do what you need to do uh, don't get caught up in uh, everyday politics of life. Don't get caught up in, uh, trying to be like everybody else. Don't get caught up in being upset too much. Um, uh, I would tell my 26 year old self that keep in mind that there are some things you can change and there are some things you cannot change. The things you can change, do the best you can. The things you cannot change, put them aside and don't, don't let them bother your head. There's just too many other things you got to take care of. And then the last thing I would tell him is, remember, relationships are more important than be right. Uh, too often, I think my academic background and my American background, I always have to prove a point to be right. But my Palawan side always tells me that I have to live in a community uh with different human beings and sometimes it doesn't make sense to always tell people they're wrong and to do it this way. You need to develop consensus, a trust, you need to develop consistency. And so I would tell them, just go out there and just do the best you can and make sure people know that you work hard and that you always do your best for philosophy. That's what I think I would tell him. I don't know if it actually happens, or it will happen, but that's what I would like to think
1: happen. I hope. <laughs> oh, but it at least all the youth will hear that. <laughs> so I think yeah, it, I, uh, it's good advice, good advice. I think the it's interesting uh, relationships are more important than being right. I think yeah. you mentioned it's something you learn growing up. Yeah. Yeah, I think when we are young. We want to be right. (laughs) So it's a very good advice.
0: Yeah, we always tend to, especially in this contemporary world that we live in, we we always tend to always want, like I love to debate, I love to argue. um, And it's always led me to say, I have to be right all the time. I have to prove all the facts are here. Sometimes facts, you know, once it affects relationships in a small community like Balão it's very hard to rebuild relationships. And so, that I think that's what my father, uh, my grandfather was trying to teach me. Is, yeah, you, you may know a lot of things, but in order to get your, your, uh, your in in Palau, you need to just be able to listen and learn how things are and slowly work with people in Palau. Uh, you don't have to accept everything as the, what it is, but you just have to know how to, negotiate. So it reminds me of uh, my political science uh, 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 teacher uh, back when I was in college. He says, you know, the the definition of diplomacy is And I said, no, what is it? He says the definition of diplomacy is telling somebody to go to hell and they actually look forward to the trip. That's diplomacy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And you know, like what you say about Palau, your community, I think it makes me, we had such a good conversation before the recording, but you said that, yeah. that you know, focusing on what connects us, not what, not what separates us. And I think yes. it's, yeah, I found it so interesting. Uh So yeah, I think it's something that everyone should hear as well. Um And yeah, no, I think, uh, I know the, a question I, I I always ask is, you know, how do you want people to remember you for and to know you for? Wow, what do I want people
0: to remember me for? And what was the other part?
1: Know you for,
0: know me for, and remember me for. Wow, that's a that's a really interesting question. I really never. I guess I want people to remember me. I I, I think I want people to remember me as a a honest um, a loyal, hardworking person. I think that's what I want people to remember me by. Uh, I may not necessarily be the smartest person, but I want to be the hardest working person. That's what I want to be remembered as. Uh, Loyal, honest, and trustworthy. And the other part of that question was, again, uh, Thing, yeah?
1: yeah remember and know you four but i think it's you know linked t- together yeah Man. i think that's it it's, it's
0: really a lot I, I guess it's hard for me to talk about myself in that way because i've been trying my best to just focus on just doing some of the work and i'm i know i have a bad habit of not not doing really good marketing or branding or, you know, taking pictures or something I just, let's just do the work. Mm. Uh, but I I think, yeah, I think the, the, the I think the last part would be the, the things that I share with people are, are not just coming out of my brain because I've mixed up. Uh, I, I hope they actually go out and research and, um, uh, um, uh, Search what I'm saying and find for themselves their own path. Let me let me kind of give you the you know the the, the general direction, and then you can go ahead and hopefully help you uh, find your own path and your own research and, and find it to be true uh, in your context in in your place. So I think that's it. I,
1: I have the same that. question, but for I have the same question, but for Palau how do you want people who just listen to your story to know palau for
0: oh, wow what i i'm i'm hoping that they get to know palau based on what i've been sharing as a a place that you know sounds interesting i really would love to go and visit sounds like a, a small community uh that could have the possibilities. I, I wonder what's there. Uh What's in the water, not just the ocean water, but what are they drinking over there that I need to go and find out more. That's what I'm, uh, and let people come up and make their own judgments for themselves, uh, based on not necessarily what just they, they read or hear from me, but I hope they can come and visit Palau one day, uh, we're a small community, a uh, small island of 20,000 some people. Uh, but the things, I think, come in small packages, is, is what I try to believe in. And uh, hopefully, you can come and visit us one day. Yeah, that's what I like for people to think about below.
1: Yeah. Cool. Random fact uh, I, I saw that Japanese went, was one of the official languages. Oh, no, not now. It
0: used to be oh. so currently, um, the two official languages are English and Palawan. Uh, but there are communities in Palau that are very fluent in Japanese. Uh, we have uh, uh J- Japan was here from like 1914 to like 1947, something like that. So, 33 years, we have a very strong Japanese influence. In, oh, So a lot of our words that we use to describe certain things are Japanese words. Uh, for example, uh, Venghua. is a telephone. That's a Japanese word. Um, so it is, it is one of the languages that is spoken in Palau, but the two official languages are English and
1: Palau. That's why you were speaking about sashimi (laughs) just before. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the, that's the Japanese influence.
0: Uh, our, our cuisine is a very strong Japanese influence in them. So, uh, that's another thing to come and try our food. Uh, seafood, of course, but uh, yeah. might be of interest to some people. Um, taro, uh, coconut is our uh, tree of life uh, in uh, Southeast Asia, all the way uh, to the Pacific. So, it's our food, drink, uh, our medicine, our clothing. The coconut tree is amazing. That's why I use it as a, as a uh, a name for the nonprofit, mm. uh, as well as uh, just an image uh, that some people who know the coconut tree uh, know know its value. You know, it's just an amazing tree mm. that was able to travel from Southeast Asia across the migrating patterns into the Pacific. So people really think that the coconut is actually a Pacific Island plant. But it actually came out of Southeast Asia into the Pacific. So it's interesting. Um, well, just one of those little trivias. I have a lot of, I have a lot of uh, useless kind of trivia information I have in my head. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and my real final question, but yeah, you know, how can me, Linka, people listening, people in general, support you, support your work, support your nonprofit, or help you in any way uh, in your mission?
0: Uh, number one, um, you know, I just need your support the network the ideas. And I think, uh, then you have, uh, then you have my uh, c- contact information. Uh, so if anyone wants it, it's, uh, uh, at gmail.com. That's T-U-T-I-I-C-H-I-L-T-O-N, dot gmail.com. And please feel free to contact me. Um, uh currently i'm just interested in networking with people uh coming up with ideas uh eventually we'll move on to actual uh, practice um so you know funding opportunities that are out there uh please share and we can try to apply and see how it works from below uh but right now i need more your, your your prayers and your thoughts and support more than anything until we can uh settle things down um and move forward uh but please feel free to contact me and if if i could be of any help to anyone uh please let me know and i'll do the best i can i can't promise i will uh give you the the proper advice but uh i do believe that i can help you find uh, the direction that you're looking for and help you find your own uh, solutions to whatever issues that you may have yeah. And then you'll never know, something will happen later on in the future uh, where I will definitely need your help and support, and I will come up and ask you for that. So I appreciate the the, the thought and question, uh I think, uh, Long. and I appreciate the fact that you're letting me speak to you, and I've taken so much of your time, um, and I, I have to apologize for that. But thank you for this opportunity,
1: bro. Thank you. No, no, thank you so much to you. Let, let me apologize too for taking too much of your time as well. No, um, see. but no, no, really loved our conversation. And yeah, definitely, you know, feel free to, to message me, Linka, anytime. Yeah. Um, if there is any cool opportunities for Palawan youth, we'll share with you definitely. Yeah. And yeah, loved our conversation. Very interesting how everything connects together. All, all the quotes that you have been sharing <laughs> throughout the conversation. they very interesting. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of things to think about, a lot of things to process, but I think a lot of things that I already take away for myself. Uh, I think I really love the sentence, you know, like focus on what connects people together rather than that separates. You were sh- sharing. Uh, you know, the Pacific waters connect the islands together. It's not something that separates the islands. Um, but yeah, loved everything. Thank you so much, chill, uh, to tea, Uh, Thank you for, for coming.
0: Thank you, Din Long. Thank you to your audience uh, for this opportunity. And, uh, uh, please let me know how else I can help you. Uh, this is how we help each other networking, connecting. Uh, and so you just gave me a, a stepping stone to maybe something different uh, in the future. Uh, if somebody out there listening can connect us again, I, I'd be more than happy to to come on again and, and be with you and talk stories some more. That's uh, one of my favorite things to do. So everyone, please be careful, be safe. friends. Now, Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for
1: the opportunities. Congrats for listening until the end of this episode. Of course, to best support Lifeline, you can share this episode to two of your friends and subscribe to the next episodes on any platform. See you next time.